Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Harris Cherokee Resort. Find us online at caesars.com slash Harris Cherokee. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Boy, so much to do today on the show. It's fun this time of year, especially when you think about Georgia fans who I thought, to my eye, sitting up in the press box, have a chance to go visit in the stadium a little bit on Saturday. To me, it looked like they were having a blast, getting a chance to be in front of 93,000 people again. Those Some of those friends you don't really see other than Georgia football, a lot of congregating around tailgates and everybody just enjoying the topic at hand of Georgia football, a team that's 2-0 and and riding pretty high right now. And I would say that on Saturday, all that's going to be taken up to the next level there as well because not only is it a chance to be back between the hedges again, it's also a night game. The light show always looks really good as they're popping and flashing and doing all that kind of stuff. And there's just a little extra juice for these SEC games at night. So as South Carolina comes into Sanford Stadium on Saturday. That's on my mind a little bit. We're going to continue to talk about that game over the course of our time together. And listen, I have the freedom on this show to say some things that if you actually work in the football building at UGA, you can't say. In fact, if I ever heard Kirby Smart or a Georgia player say some of the things that I say, I'd be pretty bothered by them. There's a big difference when I do and what they do. I can say whatever I want because I talk for a living, right? The Georgia players and coaches, as Smart says, they do their talking with their helmets. They play for a living, and sometimes, you know, what you say or you don't say could be a potential distraction on all of that or just maybe an example of game face not where it needs to be going into a game like this. So here for a moment, I'm going to exercise my freedom to to speak openly about how I think it's going to play out on Saturday. I think South Carolina is in some real trouble. And it's not because I don't have any respect whatsoever for the Gamecocks. I actually thought, you know, fighting back and getting the win against East Carolina on the road on Saturday was probably a better win than some people give credit for. And I would never want Georgia to disrespect or disregard an opponent. That's just setting yourself up for a letdown on the field. I, I wouldn't want the actual team, coaches, and players to do this. And if they're listening right now, just tune me out. Don't you know? Don't 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 listen too closely to what I'm saying. But to the rest of us fans, you know, folks will be observing the game. We can speak openly and candidly with each other. I think that South Carolina is going to get steamrolled by Georgia on Saturday. I'm more confident about this game than I probably was the week before that against UAB. Not that I thought Georgia would lose to UAB. I just thought that UAB was a program I had some kind of uh, quiet respect for. In the, in the case of South Carolina right now, I don't think the matchup works very well for the uh, Gamecocks on Saturday. I want to give you one piece of information why. There's a reporter that covers South Carolina for the the big like you know news entity up there in the South Carolina area. It's called The State. It's a newspaper that uh, based out of Columbia. And the reporter that covers South Carolina for The State, capital T for The, of course, uh, shared a stat this week on Twitter that I thought, oh boy, that could really be a problem for the Gamecocks. So let me uh, let me read this to you for a second, and then we'll hear more from Kirby Smart uh, on all of this. So uh, Ben Portnoy, uh, who covers South Carolina of the state, says South Carolina's offensive line ranks dead last, uh, DFL as some would say, dead last in the SEC in pass blocking, according to Pro Football Focus. Facing an elite front seven against Georgia next week, South Carolina has to shore things up and quickly. Now, here you go. So if you're dead last in pass blocking when you faced Eastern Illinois and East Carolina, it is a dire set of circumstances to think that you are 
trying to get get it right, get it fixed in time to play Georgia this upcoming Saturday. Now, to be fair here, Shane Beamer, the South Carolina coach, was asked about that pro football focus stat this week, and he actually kind of basically disregarded it and said he didn't believe it was true from his perspective. And, you know, we've had our issues before with some of the stuff that pro football focus shares, and, you know, different people feel different ways about all of that. But it's at least an eye-opening thing to suggest that any analytics body out there saying, we don't like what we're seeing from South Carolina with a, from a pass-blocking standpoint with the pass-rush machine that the Georgia Bulldogs have put together through two weeks coming in and getting ready to play against this Gamecocks offense in Sanford Stadium on Saturday. And, you know, what's cool about what Georgia's doing right now that's front seven are all the different guys who are doing it. Big sack totals from the Jordan Davises and the Trayvon Walkers and the Adam Andersons and the N'Kobe Deans going back to the Clemson game. You saw a guy like Nazir Stackhouse get involved in that game uh, against UAB, getting a sack, almost had another. It's just the sheer number of guys that Georgia's kind of rolling through there and getting after quarterbacks right now. And I do think it leads to a daunting task for the opposing offense that has to face that. And it's one of those things where when you play defense the way that Georgia plays, defense is actually really fun, right? I mean, there's a reason why in fantasy football, you know, you draft all the individual offensive players, but you kind of only, at least in most leagues, only draft just one collective team defense because fans like offense better. And, you know, you can be Mr. Football and say, no, I actually like a good defensive game. I like a 13-10 game. And if that's you, then, then congratulations. But for the average fan, offense is just more interesting than defense. You know, you collect football cards. Quarterbacks are the ones that uh, have all the value. People don't really collect, you know, football cards for the most part of outside linebackers or cornerbacks or anything like that. When it comes to, like, the economy around football, there's just a lot more energy around the offensive side than the defensive side. And I think that we all kind of understand why for casual fans that's true. However, I would suggest when you play defense the way that Georgia plays, boy, that's less true, right? I mean, when you're, you know, you think about like you're sitting on your couch watching the game on TV or in my case up in the press box, you know, there's that tendency you want to, you know, jump up and go get yourself something to drink right quick, you know, a glass of water, whatever else. You know, sometimes I think in, you know, some situations, some fans may say, well, if my team doesn't have the ball, that's a good chance for me to go and, you know, turn the burgers over on the grill or go to the bathroom or, you know, grab a new drink or whatever else. But I can promise you this, there is no Georgia fan right now who's getting up to go do something while his team's on defense because that's a highlight reel waiting to happen. The same way for most schools, you'd say that about the offense, the Georgia defense right now is not just impactful, but they're fun to watch because of all the ways in which they create havoc, sacking quarterbacks, tackles for loss, all of the energy that you're getting from that team right now. And, yes, the secondary is still a work in progress. I totally get all of that. But, boy, how great is it to be a young defensive back working your way up in that group right now, knowing that you're so well protected by the the way in which the front seven, out linebackers, defensive linemen, are affecting quarterbacks right now. That's a really cool thing. And as I said before, I can talk big about all of this and brag on how well they're doing. You know for a fact that Kirby Smart's not going to do that. You know for a fact that Kirby Smart, for the most part, is going to, at least publicly, ignore all the ways in which this group could be lauded and praised. You know, Kirby Smart said during the Clemson game, you're either elite or you're not. Well, right now, this group clearly has the makings for a group that's elite, that takes seriously its opportunity to be elite. Kirby Smart's not going to be too quick to award that status as of yet. In fact, when he spoke to reporters yesterday, 
he went into great detail about what he still wants to see more of. He's watching the film more closely. He's grading on a tougher curve. You understand all of that. And he is not going to just toss the praise and the bouquets around the way that somebody like I might do. This is Kirby on his defense. Improvement-wise, you know, we really probably did not play as well in the, the second game, you know, as we did in the first. We, we, we really did not strike blockers and play run fits uh, to the standard that we expect. Um, we did get some turnovers, um, which we didn't get in the first. But um, the, the the biggest thing was was playing our gaps, striking blockers, and you know communication. Uh, there's still breakdowns that we have that we're trying to to get right defensively. Um, we're, we're we're fast enough and we're big enough that we haven't been exposed on some of those. And, uh, we got to do a better job of, of of definitely playing the run. So I take Smart very seriously on that, and as I said before. Not only is that what you'd expect Smart to say, most of you would say that's what I want Smart to say. I want him keeping the pedal to the metal and keeping the focus where it needs to be. I don't want him listening to, you know, Rat Poison from BA about, you know, how elite this is and how South Carolina can't block them and all that kind of stuff. And I, I totally get all of that. However, here is the one thing that I do find myself wanting to say again as a response to everything you just heard from Smart there. You know, it's nice to see that he's kind of zeroed in on how we fitting up the run stops. You know, how are we doing in that regard? And the truth is, most of us expect Georgia to be a good rushing defense. They've been the best in the country the last couple of years. And that's really important. You want to be good stopping the run. You want to make offenses one-dimensional. You want to make, you know, offenses fight you left-handed or right-handed, but you want to put one hand behind the back and take that running game away. And Georgia's been really good at doing that. Here's the one point I keep making over and over again, and this is one of the reasons why I'm really eager to see what this group does again on Saturday, is that I think there's this perception out there, this notion out there that that Georgia is good defensively in 2021 the way that it has been the last few years. And, y'all, I just think this is a different brand of Georgia defense because Georgia has not always been great at sacking quarterbacks. Georgia has not always been great at affecting the passing game. You know, in 2020, they took a big step towards getting better at that. Aziz Ojolari obviously helped lead the way. But I also think the mindset instilled by Dan Lanning helps create some of that, too. What's fun about this Georgia defense right now is not just the fact that it's doing the fundamental things that defenses are asked to do. It's not just doing those things well, but it's also creating a level of havoc, creating a level of discomfort for quarterbacks that does make it really hard on offensive lines. And if you're struggling at all coming into the Georgia game, then you are fearful that it may be an absolute unmitigated disaster against the dogs at the moment. That's the kind of havoc that UGA is wreaking on defense right now. It's incredibly fun to watch. I think it's impactful to the tune of contending for championships. And I think we all would say we can't wait to see where it's all going next. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. Good to have you with us. Whether you're joining us at 9.45 in the morning for our first and 15 on the Dog Nation homepage, the Dog Nation app, you want to watch us live on video right there, you're going to dognation.com each and every day anyway. Why not kind of dial it up there at 9.45, right there above the fold at the top of the page, just click into the uh, video, we'll chat, we'll do some comments, we'll do some additional content on today's first and 15. We talked a little bit about the latest on Henry Gilbert and Karis Jackson, Dominic Blaylock, stuff we didn't have time for on the regular show. We did that as part of our first and 15 this morning on dognation.com, the Dog Nation app, so please make sure you join us. Or if you're just more comfortable watching the way you always have on Facebook or YouTube or Twitter or Twitch, we're really glad to have you doing that there too. Podcast, all the various platforms there as well, Apple, Spotify, everything in between. Of course, posting the show on the worldfamousdognation.com. A lot of folks visit 
our show page at dognation.com. They click into that because they want to share their comments to be a part of our podcast cool down later on. We certainly appreciate that too. And of course, we appreciate our friends at Harris Cherokee Casino Resort for making all this possible. You know, it's an easy getaway from Atlanta, just two hour drive from where I'm sitting right now in our palatial Dog Nation world headquarters studios and you can enjoy the casino gaming obviously real table games and slot machines and all that kind of stuff that's a lot of fun the uh, gourmet dining experiences there all kinds of great restaurants there's world-class shopping there's a luxurious spa but in addition to all of that sports gaming is also legal now they're at the chair of the harris cherokee casino resort properties that means you can get your action down on saturday games on the sunday games on the other sports during the week you can place legal sports wagers right now harris cherokee Casino Resort, Harris Cherokee Valley River, both those properties. So to find out more about this, go to Caesars.com slash Harris Cherokee. That's Caesars.com slash Harris Cherokee for a lot more on that. Make sure you check out Harris Cherokee Casino Resort today. Great time for a fall getaway. Enjoy yourself as you do that. All right, it's Mike Griffith here coming up in a moment. We'll do a Georgia Farm Bureau practice report with Mike here in just a little bit. One of the things we'll get into deeply with Mike is what's going on with the quarterbacks and how the pecking order and the the playing time distribution for that group here on Saturday against South Carolina may be similar or dissimilar to what we saw last week against UAB. And I've told you before that I take Daniels, JT Daniels, health status pretty seriously here. Not because I know him to be seriously hurt and out for a long time, but I mentioned this this morning. I did another radio interview with my friends over at 960 The Ref in Athens. And, you know, the college football schedule is kind of a weird thing, right? You wait all year to finally get these games. And you finally have your first game. For Georgia this year, was on September the 4th. And you finally have your first game. By the way, we are around the doghouse here today as we roll into around the doghouse. We are around the doghouse presented today by our friends at Rooms to Go. Good to have uh, Rooms to Go with us here today for around the doghouse furnishing what we're doing here but the point that i was making is with our friends at rooms to go is that you wait all you know year long for the season to get here for the schedule to get here and then it finally arrives september 4th with george's first game then you blink your eyes two weeks later you're now 25 percent done with the regular season that's kind of amazing when georgia finishes the game saturday night against south carolina the regular season will be 25 percent of the way done and my anticipation is JT Daniels probably will not play against the Gamecocks. That means that he's only played in one of Georgia's first three games after only having played in four of Georgia's, what, 10 games a year ago? How many games it was? I think 10. Only four of those 10 games a year ago. That, that it's not an insignificant story with Daniels not playing, not because of anything other than you just want that cohesiveness to exist between that cohesion to exist between him and and his wide receivers you want Georgia to be at its best offensively when it plays the games that matter the most as you head through the month of October and towards the end of the season certainly to be firing on all cylinders by the time you get to December and what could possibly come after that and so Daniel's not playing is 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 a deal the biggest deal of all time an insurmountable disadvantage for Georgia of course not but it's not part of some grand master plan to have Daniels on the sidelines right now. He's getting the rest that he probably needs, but how much more of that will he need? When can he be back throwing the football comfortably? So Kirby Smart did address that yesterday, along with a little bit of a surprise update on Stetson Bennett. The name Carson Beck was used as well. This is Kirby Smart on his quarterbacks. JT uh, feels much better. He's continued to improve. I think he's better now than he was on, uh, on Saturday. I don't know that he's 100%, um, but he's, he's certainly getting closer to that. Uh, Stetson is repping, JT's repping, and Carson's repping. 
So they're, they're, Stetson's actually got some uh, lower back issues that, that he strained some stuff, but he's, he's able to go. But I don't know if he's 100%. He's been uh, dinged up um, since Monday morning, but he went out and practiced as well. So they're all three practicing, and uh, I wouldn't say 100 I think Carson's 100% healthy, but the other two are, are still pushing back. I have no idea what to make about Stetson Bennett and the lower back issue. I'm not saying this is what's happening, but I am reminded of the fact that remember when like Tom Brady played for the Patriots and like every week for like a decade, Brady's name was always on the injury report and it was always, you know, he's probable or, 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 or uh, you know, questionable or whatever the status was, but kind of always on there that, that sometimes you may want to, you know, uh, hide some injury information. Sometimes you might want to just sort of flood the zone with injury information so that, you know, uh, you know, no one really knows what to pay attention to. I, I, I don't know if that's gamesmanship from Smart or what. It could be obviously taken at face value that maybe, maybe Bennett is just a little bit banged up after the South Carolina after the UAB game from a week ago. But I mean, it's still going to be the status of Daniels that matters the most to me. And you know, my understanding is it's really the rest here that matters more than anything else. When is he getting that rest? Is he practicing less than sometimes we're led on to believe that he is? Um, obviously you think the game on Saturday could be an opportunity for him to get that rest and does that mean that he could be back playing again in time for the Vanderbilt game Smart's obviously not going to answer that directly and it could be that he doesn't know directly right I mean a lot of this is pain and and how it impacts your ability to throw the football but it's clearly something I've got on my mind and as far as you know what all this means for Carson Beck my guess is is that Beck will be in a similar situation Saturday to what he was a week ago that uh, assuming that Bennett's healthy enough to play, my assumption is he will start. Clearly, he's earned the right to to get a chance to do that based on you know what happened uh, last week against UAB, and maybe he can do what he did a week ago, which is build a comfortable lead that then gives Georgia the freedom to play whoever it wants to, whenever it wants to. I'm not saying it's the only circumstance that would cause Beck to get in the game, but I don't get the sense that assuming Bennett's healthy, this is a you know two quarterback system on Saturday. This is a game in which Georgia's a 30-point favorite, which in typical situations in the SEC means there's chance for more than one quarterback to play. And I'm guessing if all goes according to plan, that's how that will roll out for Georgia on Saturday. But once again, as I've said before, don't get so fixated on the Bennett versus Beck distribution that you lose sight of the fact that right now Georgia's starting quarterback would appear to be not healthy enough to play, and nothing is more important than that until that situation is rectified. It is Around the Doghouse, furnished today by our friends at Rooms to Go. And obviously, there's nothing that makes you feel better, nothing that makes you prouder when you bring folks over to your home than to have a beautifully furnished house, right, wherever you live. Uh, you know, beautiful furnishment to uh, make everything look the way that it's uh, supposed to look. That's what Rooms to Go can provide for you. Whether you're talking about for the entire room, you just want that one furniture piece, you want the accent piece to kind of go along with that. Bedrooms, living rooms, obviously the outdoor stuff on the patios and everything else. Rooms to Go can do so much of that for you. For you, for the uh, kids, it's just really amazing the variety of options you have available to you. As I said before, whether you're looking to furnish the entire room or a portion of a room or you just need that one finishing piece to kind of bring it all together. Rooms to Go is so good on all of that. You can stop by and visit them in a showroom today to find out more about that. You can check them out online at roomstogo.com. Of course, two spelled out T-O, roomstogo.com. Check them out today, and we certainly appreciate Rooms to Go furnishing around the doghouse for us here today there as well. All right, before we're done i'm going to make my case as i did yesterday that i believe that georgia is going to be a pretty motivated team against south carolina on saturday i'm kind of half kidding half serious about this but 
but uh, uh, but we'll continue that conversation coming up before we are done today. But for now, on more of the quarterback situation, on kind of what else to expect against South Carolina, how the preparations are going, uh, getting ready for the Gamecocks, let's get a practice report from Mike Griffith presented by Georgia Farm Bureau. Good to have all of you with us here today on Dog Nation Daily. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. We will say hello to Mike Griffith, who obviously asked Kirby Smart the question yesterday. You just heard the answer to a moment ago with uh, what's going on there with Daniels and maybe a little bit of a surprise uh, insertion about Stetson Bennett's back and obviously Carson Beck, part of this discussion too. Mike, thanks for being here. Obviously, your appearance presented by our friends at Georgia Farm Bureau here today. And let me go big picture with you first, and then we'll kind of drill down on the details after that. What do you make of where things stand with Georgia's quarterback situation based on what you heard from Kirby yesterday, what he said on Monday, maybe what he said going back to Saturday, what you've seen with your own eyes, what other people off the record are saying? What do you make of it all right now? Murky. It's murky. We don't know. I think it's unsettled. I don't think it's determined. I think it's yet to be determined. TBA, to be announced. Kirby Smart uh, not going to tip his hand, and – you know, some of it has to do with the condition of the guys and how they practice, you know. Uh, you know, digging a little deeper, someone told me Carson Beck didn't look real good in practice last week, and that was part of what led to Dustin Bennett starting. I mean, it's, uh, you know, the quarterback deal is kind of like a mood ring. You just, you don't know. I mean, it's, it's a touchy-feely thing, and, and Kirby's job is, you know, win, right? What's important now? And, and what's important now is to, you know, get through this game uh, in the best manner possible. Um, winning the game managing the roster, protecting the roster for a championship run. You know, there's a lot that goes into these decisions, um, you know, that go above and beyond just, you know, we'll play the best guy. Like, for example, I think if, I think if, if it was a championship game, I think JT Daniels could have played if he really needed to against UAB. But, you know, he really didn't need to, so why not rest him and get him a little bit better, right? So, and, and that kind of makes me wonder how they'll manage this game. It's not as simple as uh, – it's not like the NFL where they're going to start the best guy every game because he's getting paid. It's a roster management, and you're trying to win a championship and win each game along the way. So uh, I don't have all the information in front of me. I don't know the extent of, of Stetson Bennett's back injury. I don't know the extent of JT Daniels' uh, oblique or core strain. Uh, I don't know how Carson Beck looks in practice this week and how he responds to that pick six. Uh, so without all that information in front of me, all I can do is try to interpret what the coach is saying. And, and he made it pretty clear that, um, you know, it's, it's an open situation because of the ailments of Carson and JT, the extent of which won't be known on game day. And uh, waiting to see how, respond, how Carson Beck responds in practice this week. So you say something there that I think is kind of interesting. You say, and obviously this is just your, like, hypothesis which is i'm doing the same thing too we're both just kind of speculating on the basis of our most educated guesses but you're saying hey maybe if it was georgia playing you know at florida on on saturday maybe jt daniels would have been healthy enough to start but why risk that against a uab or potentially risk it against a south carolina and obviously as a georgia fan i hope what you're saying is true but boy mike i can't quite be sure that that's true on the basis of my understanding the oblique situation which I understand to be really about the pain and pain that's aggravated when you try to go through a throwing motion, the torque that you're trying to establish with your body to throw it. And I guess the concern I would have is is that it limits his ability to 
to make all the throws he'd want to make during a game. And once again, I'm just kind of theorizing the basis of my limited understanding of all of this. And to add to that, what smart people have told me is, listen, it's really about the rest. And so my question is, well, when's he going to get that rest? Is there a chance that he's actually practicing a little less than it sometimes let on that he is? You know, obviously the game situation kind of provides that rest that – in other words, to kind of sum all this up, I'd love to believe that what you just said is true of, hey, if it was Florida, maybe JT Daniels is playing. But if he's if he's hurt enough that it's painful to make all the throws that a quarterback needs to make in a game, including really letting it rip on some deep throws, then to me, I don't quite know that that is healthy enough that he could have played had the game been bigger, had the game required his presence. I can't say that I'm confident that's true. I can I just told you it's true. If it was a bigger game, he could have played. That's what I've been told, and I believe it. And I believe what you're saying also, that rest is the best uh, remedy for that. Kirby Smart said that, and Kirby told us yesterday that that JT was taking reps. So uh, I'm kind of with you. That's why I said it's murky, B.A. Uh, That's why it's confusing to me. You know, it seems like there's a lot of mixed messages out there. Um, You know, on the one hand, you know, Kirby says that – you know, or there's an indication that he's not playing against UAB because he needs to rest it, and yet he's back out there taking reps on Monday, but he's not declared the starter. You know, so that's why I said, you know, it's kind of maddening, and, and as you pointed out to me before, you know, frustrating for fans because if it seems like Kirby Smart is sending mixed messages, it's because he is. He absolutely is. But, but yes, I, I was told that if JT, if it was a championship for Clemson or a Florida – yeah, he could have gone. Now, to your hypothesis and speculation, I would also wonder uh, what type of performance he would put out there. Maybe Kirby Smart did, too, and said, you know what? Yeah, JT could have gone, but would I rather have a Stetson Bennett at 100% or a JT Daniels that could be affected by on some of these throws, right? I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm just trying to get in the mind of the head coach. Um, you know, being able to play, or what does Kirby say? You know, being cleared to play and being ready to play are two different things. Um, and, and it is a judgment call, right? If it was an emergency situation, if Stetson Bennett got hurt on the first play and Carson got Beck got hurt on the second play and Brock Vandegrift got hurt on the third play, yeah, you know, then you don't have a choice. But, you know, you kind of weigh it. You know, what if, what if Stetson stinks it up and you need JT? I mean, we can hypothesize all day long. But what I'm telling you is that if he, was, if he had to play, if it was a championship game scenario, he could have played. Now, what would that have done to the injury? Would it have set it back? Could you have jeopardized him further into the season? Probably. And so if you're Kirby Smart, you weigh those odds. You go, you know, why take a chance on aggravating this injury and maybe not having him for a game like Arkansas or on the road like Auburn? So let's just rest him and see if Stetson Bennett, uh, you know, can take care of business. So, uh, yeah, yeah, he probably could have played. Kyrus Jackson could probably play receiver if it came right down to it. But right now, they want to rest the knee and limit him to the punt returns, right? Now, one thing we did pick up yesterday that was interesting, Brandon, was that Dominic Blaylock apparently has a hamstring injury, and he's a guy that, you know, Kirby said they thought was closer to being ready than Kiaris, and now a little bit of a setback for Blaylock. So uh, the quarterback situation is maddening, frustrating not to get some receivers back in the rotation for sure. I completely understand where you're coming from on this line of questioning. All right, so let me do one more thing on quarterbacks, and then we'll change the subject. A lot of Georgia fans have made a big deal about the fact that Beck was proclaimed to be the number two quarterback, and yet when it came time to 
moved the number one aside. It was actually Stetson Bennett that kind of seemingly overtook Beck pretty quickly and all of that. And what I have said, Mike, is, and I want your opinion on this, is that to me there's a big difference between the number two quarterback playing with the number two offense during practice with a healthy starter. That, that's, a, that's, that's one scenario. But when that healthy starter is no longer healthy, determining who now becomes quarterback one to me is a totally different type of thing, right? It's not one of those things that like, you're not vice president, you know, you know, there's, there's no constitutional line of succession here uh, in terms of who just steps up there that you're making a different decision, not who runs with the number two offense during practice and who gets that valuable experience, but who actually utilize the experience they have to be the starting quarterback and from that standpoint, I don't have a problem with the semantics of, well, Beck was the number two, but Stetson Bennett was the starter. What do you make of all of that? I think you're right. I think you're right. And, you know, there's a couple ways to look at this. So the first way to look at it, it you know, Kirby's he's so devilish with his comments, Brandon. I mean, you really got to be on the ball with this guy. Um, you know, Carson Beck was the number two. What we didn't know is that Stetson Bennett was the number one. He never, he never said who the number one was. All he said was Beck was the two. And, and you know, you go back and listen, and you're like, doggone it, Kirby, did you pull another fast one on us? And so that's one thing, and it's semantics, and we're all going, now, come on, that's not fair. But you know what? Again, Kirby doesn't want to play his hand. He doesn't want to tell the other team what he's thinking. So in his mind, he probably said that and patted himself on the back. Yeah, Beck's number two. They just don't know that Beck's going to be the number one this week. The second thing is, to your point about, you know, who assumes control when the number one goes out, I look at it more like a pitching rotation. Let's say you're in the World Series, right? You've had a number one, two, three starter all year at a, and, uh, you know, but the, but, the, but the matchup in the second game of the World Series tells you to go with your number three because he's the left-hander and he's going up against a batting order that may be more susceptible. That's kind of how I look at it. Like, yeah, Beck is working with the twos because he's a young guy and you want to develop him, and he needs all those reps that he can get. But at the end of the day, Bennett's the guy that has more experience. You kind of know what you've got in him. You know, banked reps is the term that Kirby created. I'd never heard that one before. He called them banked reps as though there was some sort of equity from the reps he had last year. I guess there was. Look at the way Stetson, by the way, adjusted the arc on his deep passes. That was not the same guy we saw last year. He picked up a trick from JT Daniels on that deep ball. If you'll notice, you know, people might be thinking, geez, why didn't Stetson have that success last year? Because his deep balls were a lot flatter. They didn't have the same amount of arc. He didn't let the receivers run underneath it. So some improvement from Stetson Bennett. I hadn't heard many people talk about that. But credit to him that even when it looked like he might just disappear off the planet, he didn't just come back. Uh, he came back with a, an improved uh, passing touch. He came back uh, as ready and as equipped as ever. I think it's a wonderful story. I, I, the way he validated himself, as I said it on Twitter, is there anyone on the planet that Stetson Bennett hasn't won over yet? Yeah. To the point now that I think he's a very capable option, and uh, you know, regardless of the situation, to the point now where you know, if you'd have said before Stetson Bennett's got a strained back, you said, yeah, so what? Now you go, oh, no. <laughs> you know, that guy looked really good. So it's, it's a, it's a, for me as a writer, it's fun to write about. But to your point, you've told me this before, it's frustrating for fans because there's not a clear picture of how Kirby Smart's going to do this. 
again, and then we've also my instruction to fans is always assume guys are more hurt than sometimes being led on. And if you do that enough, <laughs> you're going to get more right than wrong in, in most instances. Let me just do one more thing on the quarterback real quick, even though I said we're going to move on. The other thing I think you got to add to all of this is that I don't think anything of the last seven days makes Carson Beck any less of a prospect than he already was. I think there's a chance he's Georgia's starting quarterback of the future. I think there's also a chance that he's overtaken by someone like Brock Vandegrift. I think that's still very much an unknown right now, but the fact that he wasn't pegged as a starter on Saturday is, to me, not a significant part of Beck's long-term story going forward. The fact of the matter is, this was the second game of his second year as a college athlete. His first year was the weirdest year in the history of college football. There was no spring practice. There weren't those opportunities to grow and get better that typical quarterbacks would have had. There are a lot of quarterbacks who are very, very good, who have had to wait a lot longer than Carson Beck has had to get on the football field. In fact, there are a lot of players in this current Georgia roster who are very, very good at other positions who don't want to hear about the idea that you're going to be impatient after two games of a second year when they had to wait three or four years to get a chance to do what they're doing right now. I'm assuming that Beck understands that. I just hope the fans that cheer for Beck also understand that, Mike. Yeah, I, I agree with you that the way the game was managed doesn't say anything about his future. But I think the way he handled it raises some questions. He didn't look very dialed in to me. I didn't think he looked nearly as polished or comfortable as we saw him look in the G-Day game. And, and, and after all, it was a different situation. That's why Kirby didn't choose him, because he wasn't ready, because he hadn't been exposed to that situation. I, I look at the way Keely Ringo, the jump he made between Game 1 and Game 2. I mean, Keely looked awful in the first game on those two pass interference penalties, but he came back with a, an interception. And, and what a wonderful story behind that, if you'll read uh, the story Jeff Santels wrote this week about Keely Ringo's mother. Um, it's on dognation.com. But, but there's great growth between game one and game two. But the thing that bothered me, Brandon, I'll be honest with you, I, I, I didn't see it during the game, but when I watched the replay, when he threw the interception, he didn't pursue the tackle. And that, that is just not something that Georgia coaches, fans, uh, probably not even Carson Beck himself. They're, they're, that's not going to happen. I mean, you remember when DJ you threw that pick six to Christopher Smith. Part of the image was watching DJ you try to chase him down. He didn't make the play, but daggone, did he come close. And, man, was he hustling down the field. And, and Beck didn't show you that. He, he acted like a 15-year NFL veteran, like, you know, he's ready to head to this. And he just trotted. And Robert Griffin the third called him out on it. Terrib it was terribly embarrassing. It, it was one of the more embarrassing things I've seen in an SEC game for a football player to be outed like that. Uh, by a national commentator for not hustling. And that, that goes against everything that Georgia and Kirby Smart preaches. So I think it was a teaching moment. Uh, I doubt that that will ever happen again. Um, but I do think it shows just how much growth you know, is left for Carson Beck. He, he's not ready to go. As, as many people, uh, you know, we did a Dog Nation poll. I think about 90% of the people said they wanted to see him start over starts and sets and Bennett. And we all just assumed you know, because Jake Brown looked so game ready. We just assume that somebody's just going to step in and just be so ready to go. Uh, and it just it just doesn't always work that way. And that's where we have to, to, to defer uh, to the head coach's judgment. And yeah, I, believe me, I'd love to be out there watching practice every day and, and being able to give your report and tell you who look at but But it's just not like that. You know, Kirby has absolute power, and, and uh, he'll be the one to decide. 
Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Uh, Georgia on Saturday, 31-point favorite uh, against South Carolina. Have not been a favorite of 30 or more points in SEC play since September of 2018. What do you make of the Dogs being such a big favorite here in this spot? Would that have been a, would that have been a Vanderbilt game, B.A.? It was actually the Tennessee Vols, and uh, Georgia did not cover that day for what it's worth. Very interesting statistics there, Brandon. Uh, well, I don't think South Carolina is going to be able to do anything with the ball. So the question becomes how many points does Georgia score because South Carolina has a very good defensive front, and uh, also we wonder who's going to be at quarterback, and will they be able to fool South Carolina like they did UAB? I mean, just, you know, part of that was just brilliant, brilliant coaching from Todd Munkin. The self-scout, they showed the bunch formation. They'd shown tendencies to run out of it. And so UAB's playing run, and, and Georgia's just got guys just running by him. It wasn't anything Jermaine Burton did great. Nobody covered him. <laughs> he blew the assignment. He ran under the ball. Arian Smith, same thing. JT Daniels signaled touchdown as soon as the ball was snapped. You know, it's blown aside. It's Munkin just feasting on these outwitting these coordinators this is why they're at uab and not in the sec right so i don't know if he's going to be able to outfox south carolina to that extent i'd like to think they probably have a better coaching staff than uab but munkin's got some tricks and like i've said throughout the whole offseason this offense is designed for somebody to be open you know the trick is to have the quarterback that can recognize that and the receivers that can you know run the routes and, and catch the ball once they're open so uh, I do think that they'll win by more than 31, though. I do, because the defense is is going to absolutely smother uh, South Carolina, no matter who's playing quarterback, whether it's the Zeb Nolan kid from Oconee County. And isn't it interesting that Oconee County, uh, 10 miles away from Georgia, has two starting SEC quarterbacks? All we write about is the Southern Cal guys, and there's two guys from 10 miles from Athens that have been starting in the SEC. But I don't think it matters who's going to start at quarterback uh, if, if Kirby turns uh, that junkyard dog defensive line loose, it doesn't matter who's back there. You're not you're not escaping. They they bring him in the stadium and they lock the gates and they, they you know they give them their paycheck for coming and they don't let them out to the clocks on zero. So uh, this is a game South Carolina needs to try to survive, keep key guys healthy. Uh, you know, take their beating and move on. Um, this is going to be ugly on Saturday. I want to squeeze in one final thing before we let you go, Mike. First, let me remind folks, is our Georgia Farm Bureau practice report. And obviously, one of the things the Georgia Farm Bureau understands is, is that so many of the people who are watching and listening to us right now, you know, they're working hard for a living, right? That means they got to get places. And nothing's more important to you that are kind of on the go each and every day than having a dependable vehicle. And, of course, one of the things that's important for a dependable vehicle is having dependable insurance coverage for that vehicle. Well, that's one of the things that Georgia Farm Bureau has been doing since 1959, keeping its promises to its customers when it comes to the the you know the, the protection they need for the automobile that they uh, call their own. You can act, find out a lot more about this yourself when you check out gfbinsurance.com. That's gfbinsurance.com. Find out about all the work that's done on this locally, whether it become like the claim adjusters or the folks that are kind of handling your policy, the, the person that's on the other end when you pick up the phone and dial it. That's what Georgia Farm Bureau provides for you. So check them out online at gfbinsurance.com. Georgia Farm Bureau is always the home team. That can include your auto insurance there as well. Mike, we'll finish with this. Uh, Kirby Smart, pretty pointed remarks. Really wants to see more from his offensive line right now. That's obviously a group that's in flux. You've got guys changing positions, some that may change positions again as we kind of move throughout the rest of the year. There's been some injury issues here. There's some young guys who are trying to work their way into the lineup. But one way or another, I think the impact we're seeing on this is right now, Georgia's not really running the football at an elite clip. 
And, you know, obviously the offensive line is a big part of that. And I know for me, one of the things I'm the most curious about going into Saturday, because I do think the one spot where South Carolina does have some talent is on its defensive line. Rick Sandage is banged up, but they still have some pretty good talent there with the defensive line. It's a pretty good test for the Georgia offensive line on Saturday to see if it can play better than it has played the uh, last couple of weeks. I'm probably as interested in that on Saturday as I am anything. Yeah, it's, it is interesting. And, you know, we'd heard that Broderick Jones needed to get stronger, and we saw why. He got pushed into the backfield a couple times by a UAB defender. And You'd like to think that Broderick Jones as a five-star would be ready to handle that sort of physical challenge, but uh, that's what's been keeping him out of the lineup, and you saw a little bit of that on Saturday. So hopefully he'll improve, uh, you know, again, his first extended action in, in a game like that. So hopefully he'll show some improvement, but you know, it was disappointing because you've got some, some really good running backs. And, you know, when they can't even get two steps without getting hit or, or boxed in, it's just like, wait a minute. You know, well, whatever happened to RBU? And, and uh, you know, let's face it, Sam Pittman's doing a great job at Arkansas. He's a special guy. And, you know, I know that, uh, you know, we've all been encouraged at times by Coach Luke. But, you know, what is this year two for him now? So I don't think there's any reason why with four- and five-star players uh, they shouldn't be performing at a better level. Um, in terms of being able to knock teams like UAB back off the ball. I mean, I know UAB's a tough team. I mean, you know, Kirby made them sound like the 66 Packers, but they shouldn't be beating at the line of scrimmage, uh, in, but they were. Now, they committed a lot to it, and as Kirby said, it was very expensive for them to stop the run game. Uh, you know, Stetson Bennett had, I don't know what, 220 of his passing yards on three plays, but uh, I think you bring up a great point. I think it'll be really interesting to watch moving forward. You know, it's unfortunate that Tate Ratledge uh, went down with an injury early. He was one of the better run blockers. And uh, so now you've had to move some guys around. I don't think Warren Erickson played well at right guard. I'm not sure who should be the center. Uh, Van Prant was the higher-rated guy, but Erickson was the starter ahead of him for a reason, so let's keep an eye on that. Uh, I don't know when Amarius Mims will be ready. Uh, he is a monster, and he looks like a guy who has a high talent ceiling. But, uh, you know, Warren McClendon is a guy that was a freshman All-American. I don't know where I'd line up Jamari Sellier, so I'm, I'm kind of talking in circles, but it's because we don't really know. I mean, we all I think we'd all just stand back and say, well, we don't really care. Just put something out there that works, doggone it. you got all this talent. How in the world can you have all this talent and get you know pushed into the backfield on third and two? I mean, so – and then you've got competition at running back. You haven't even brought that up yet. I mean, I'm just, I'm not sure why James Cook is, uh, you know, I mean, he's a placeholder. I mean, one good play, but other than that, he four carries for four yards. This is really, there's a lot of intense competition, I can tell you, for sure. I'm not speculating, letting you know that it's pretty real over there. And, and as real as South Carolina is, a, is as an opponent is a motivation, these guys are also being motivated to keep their jobs in these position rooms because you've recruited so well, and it's intense. And it's hot, and people want to be on the field. So stay tuned. All right, Mike, good stuff. Thanks for being here as part of a Georgia Farm Bureau practice report here today. We'll look forward to reading it at dognation.com. I guess we'll see you Thursday for Cover 4 Live and a lot of stuff in between there as well. And we'll chat with you here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort again very soon, too. Thanks, B.A. Have a good one. You too. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. A couple things I want to bring up on what Mike said there. And we mentioned this with Connor yesterday that, like, there is no doubt about it. The Georgia offensive line needs to play better. And there's no doubt about it that Matt Luke has a big spotlight on him because 
you know, Georgia probably had the best offensive line coach in the country as his predecessor there at that spot. But it is also revisionist history to say that the Georgia running back performance changed mightily when Pittman left and, and Luke stepped in. The truth is there was a little bit of regression for the Georgia running back position in 2019, the last year of Sam Pittman. That was an offensive line that included two future first-round picks at offensive tackle and an NFL-caliber starter there at the uh, guard spot with Solomon Kinley. But in 2019, Georgia averaged a full yard per carry less than it averaged the previous two years in 2017-2018. So there is a little bit of an issue for Georgia running the football that actually predates the arrival of Matt Luke. I'm not Matt Luke's agent. I'm not necessarily defending him on this because I think that he, the entire Georgia offensive line, clearly need to get better. Georgia needs to run the football better uh, than it has through the uh, first couple of games. But this is not one of those things of, oh, Georgia was RBU when Sam Pittman was here, but the moment he left, that all changed. That actually started to change before Pittman left. They were running the ball less effectively in 2019 than they had in 17 and 18. And I think a lot of that was due to very conservative play calling and ineffective passing attack where opposing defenses just weren't put into conflict. They weren't forced to guess what George was doing offensively. They knew George was going to run it, and you had you know big stacked boxes that, that was almost impossible even for NFL-caliber offensive linemen to truly block, and so you saw some of that. So in other words, here is the thing that I'm hopeful for. Obviously, the, the challenge that's gone out for Georgia to play better offensively along the uh, front is a part of this. But I'm also of the belief that as Georgia develops what, what is a little bit more of a dependable, potent passing attack, all of a sudden now opposing defenses do have to guess. I have every reason to believe that on Saturday UAB was of the mindset of, you know what, let's just, <laughs> if they're going to beat us, let us make them beat us through the air. And then Georgia did that. Georgia torched them with the passing game. But UAB had seen had seen. A, you know little of that they'd seen you know you know uh, enough of of the other to assume that you know making Georgia try to throw the ball to beat them was probably a pretty good strategy well now on South Carolina now that South Carolina has seen what Stetson Bennett has done and you know seeing what the Georgia offense has kind of done in the kind of Todd Munkin era do they are, are they forced to kind of play it a couple of different ways on Saturday and does the Georgia running game kind of show up in a little bigger way on Saturday against the Gamecocks. The one place South Carolina does have some talent. Think about Zach Pickens. Think about guys like that. They got a little bit of talent there along the defensive line, so it's actually a pretty interesting battle between those two groups on Saturday. And then one more thing, and then we'll move on here and do our SEC through. Like, the one thing that I, I can't have with the Daniels conversation is this idea of, you know, they like the NBA where, like, there's 82-game regular season and, like, they'll be just be star players just chilling, just hanging out on the sidelines, uh, you know, dressed up in the suit. Uh, and like the NBA, that's kind of considered load management where we're, we're managing the rest for a player, where we're dealing with some load management, not too much load on a player over the course of a long 82-game schedule. The college football regular season schedule is only 12 games. Uh, there is no load management in college football. Um, and so, you know, the idea that Daniels is not playing is not one of those things of, oh, I just give him rest because this doesn't matter. I mean, I can trust you. I, I can promise you. Daniels himself would want to play. George would want him to play. The fact that he's not playing is not easily explained away. And no matter how anybody on any side of that discussion tries to do so, Daniels' absence in the Georgia offense is not easily explained away. So with that said, we'll move on here. We'll do our SEC through just for a moment. Let me also shout out my friends at Finish Long Drink because that goes great this time of year with whatever sport you're doing, whether you're watching the the, the, the 
college guys on Saturday, the, the, the other guys on Sunday, or just hanging out during the week, getting ready for football again. Last night, the weather was so nice. A lot of you enjoy being outside this time of year. And the finished long drink goes great with it, whether it's the long drink cranberry, the long drink zero, which is zero carbs, zero sugar, long drink strong, 8.5% alcohol by volume, the traditional that has kind of like the grapefruit and, and uh, gin kick all with it. It's an award-winning, ready-to-drink cocktail. It looks like a beer because it comes in a can, but it's not. You pop the top, you can pour it in a glass. That's what my wife likes to do. I like to drink it right out of the can. Uh, and it's just ready to drink right there. Not a lot of fuss, not a lot of effort, just good, good, enjoyable beverage uh, with a nice liquor kick. Uh, that you don't have to do a lot of work to be able to enjoy. Get yourself some finished long drink today. In fact, go to thelongdrink.com and find out where you can pick some up. That's thelongdrink.com as our SEC through music comes to an end. Uh, I guess I went a little long there on some of the stuff with Georgia. So let me bounce through a couple of stories here real quick. I got to tell you, be very careful assuming that Alabama is a rubber stamp against Florida uh, this upcoming weekend. Be very, very careful about that. Um, we'll talk more about this as we get ready towards the uh, tomorrow's show. We'll make our official picks on some of these games. Of course, go with the flow presented by R.S. Andrews on Friday. One thing to know, though, is Alabama's star pass rusher, best player on that defense, one of the best individual performers that Nick Saban's had in a number of years defensively, Will Anderson. His status currently uh, unknown. He is dealing with an injury. His absence on Saturday could be a significant one for the Crimson Tide. It's a game that I already think adds up to the potential of of Florida playing closer than I want them to as a Gator hater and closer than many expect them to. And Anderson's status on that, I think, only cements that possibility uh, a little bit more. There was some interesting reporting around college ball yesterday about a change that could be coming to the recruiting scene. Uh, I'll show you the tweet here from Ross Dellinger on the screen. Dellinger, a good one from Sports Illustrated, letting us know that the 25-man signing limit that's been in place for college football could be about to be increased. Here's what Dellinger puts on Twitter. Officials are set to pass a one-year waiver next month to immediately expand the 25-man football signing limit. He says coaches can replace up to seven players who leave for the portal. The max signing number would be 32, which is 25 plus seven. So this is, as he said, kind of a one-year waiver in all of this. But these are the kinds of changes that I would like to see college football kind of make more permanent. And this, for me, believe it or not, is not really so much a story about what I think makes Georgia a better team on the field. I really do try to be concerned about the health of college football in general. And one of the things that concerned me about last year, when it got, there's so much cheerleading by some of the national media for some of the changes that are occurring in college football that no one wants to pay attention to some of the negative consequences for that change. In other words, everybody loves Transfer Portal, at least the people who kind of report on this from kind of a national level. But what they don't really report is because of the transfer portal, because a lot of the programs at the group of five level were only looking to the transfer portal for player additions. They weren't really looking to the high school ranks. There was at least one school last year that didn't sign a high school player. And across the board, there were more than 100 fewer um, players at a high school that signed college scholarships in 2021 than had done so in 2020. That because of all this, you, the impact the transfer portal is having on college football, in addition to not always working out great for the guys who enter into it, but it's also creating less opportunities at the college level for guys coming out of high school. So to me, one of the ways to mitigate against that is give teams a chance to replace guys that leave their roster, but also just give teams a chance to sign more guys coming out of high school. I am always going to be in favor of more guys out of high school having a chance to play college football. Not because it impacts my favorite team. Georgia's going to be good, I think, no matter what. But Listen, I do these games on Friday night. I talk to the coaches. I talk to the players. I talk to guys who want to have a high school football dream. The idea that we could create a rule system 
and a financial structure that allows more players to play college football, that to me would be a very, very good thing. Let me um, – uh, I will also uh, mention one more thing here for a moment. Sometimes in college football I never quite know what's real and what's not. Uh, I hope this is real. I believe that it probably is. So Ole Miss is playing Tulane on Saturday, and we saw Tulane early in the season actually keep it pretty close against uh, Oklahoma, right? And so this week when Lane Kiffin, the Ole Miss coach, was talking about his upcoming opponent, Tulane, he said they're really an SEC opponent. Well, a lot of historians know that Tulane actually used to be an SEC team, and I believe this is real. I don't think this is like one of those social media-like jokes. Uh, so here's Tulane's official football Twitter account. By the way, how much do you love that green lane, uh, green wave logo for the uh, for for Tulane there? But I believe on the back of their helmet on Saturday, according to this photo that I'm looking at here, they're going to have a decal that says SEC champs 34, 39, and 49. The three years that Tulane won the SEC, which is actually more SEC championships than a good number of teams who are currently in the SEC, Mississippi State included, obviously the, the relatively new teams like South Carolina, A&M, teams like that. But three championships in its history for Tulane in the SEC, putting that decal on the back for a game against Ole Miss on Saturday, I think this is real. I hope it is, and I think it's a cool thing for Tulane to do. We'll make that your SEC through. And here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris, Cherokee Casino Resort, one of the things that we talked about yesterday was and if you remember, I kind of used an old 80s movie to kind of help make my point on this, that even though Georgia's a gigantic point spread favorite on Saturday and doesn't typically always do great when favored by more than 30 points, on Saturday, I think the dogs are pretty motivated to do pretty big beat down there on the uh, Gamecocks. I made my case for that yesterday. And I kind of talked about the role that Oscar Delp plays in all of this, that you got South Carolina trying to be cute with its recruitment of Delp. Georgia's obviously pulling on all stops there as well to show Delp how much he's wanted by the University of Georgia. And I said the presence of Delp as just kind of a recruit kind of hanging in the balance here, that might, may, that might motivate Georgia to make sure it scores enough points and shows off Brock Bowers and all the things that go along there. The other thing that I'm kind of thinking about for today is, is is another reason. So let's remind you of the mindset that I think that George is going to have going into Saturday. Remember the movie Karate Kid? Remember the bad guys in the movie Cobra Kai? A lot of you watch the series now on Netflix. It used to be on YouTube. Uh, but you remember the movie from the 80s and the, and the very, very vicious attitude that Cobra Kai had back then. Let me give you a quick reminder of this right now. So we believe on Saturday, truly, Georgia might try to strike first, might try to strike hard, and actually show no mercy against South Carolina because it wants to impress Oscar Delp. Also because sometimes friends stick up for each other a little bit. A Kirby Smart's friend, Will Muschamp, former South Carolina head coach, is now at UGA. And listen, Smart's going to do everything he can to downplay all of this and not make a big deal about it. And listen, I think a lot of South Carolina fans feel like they're very much justified in moving on from Muschamp. I'm sure Muschamp has a different side of the story. So just think about the fact that if you're Muschamp now working at Georgia, it'd be kind of enjoyable to, to see your new employer beat up on your old employer and Kirby Smart doing a solid for his good friend there, Will Muschamp. I think that kind of factors into the no mercy attitude that Georgia may have against South Carolina on Saturday. Here is Kirby talking about Muschamp earlier in the week essentially throwing water on any idea that the presence of Muschamp on the Georgia sideline matters at all. We go through this all the time. We went through it with DK on Clemson. We go through it every year. Somebody changes spots. 
you guys write about it, make a big deal about it. And it's not that big a deal, really. He's not in their meetings. He doesn't know their game plan. He does know who their players are. And I, I just don't know how that helps you a lot. You know, we know what their height weights and we got the tape and the tape speaks for itself. He just might know more about them in terms of uh, what strengths and weaknesses there are. So listen, I don't think it's a big thing. I think it's a little thing. The same way I don't think the Oscar Delp thing from yesterday is a big thing. I think it's a little thing. But sometimes a lot of little things add up together. And Smart may say, hey, listen, uh, Will Muschamp doesn't matter in this game. But, you know, listen, these coaches are also human beings and getting a little bit of retribution against your ex-employer. I wouldn't think that Kirby and Muschamp would be the first to necessarily do that. So striking first, striking hard, showing no mercy against South Carolina. That's kind of what I'm on guard for a little bit. And we'll, I'll give you a couple more reasons as we head throughout the uh, rest of the week on that. For now, though, let's get ready to wrap up. We do our Gator Hater Roll Call. Our golden shoe is typically awarded for Gator hating, but our buddy Mad Dog today drops a good one. I don't know why I think this is so funny, but for those of you not watching in video, here's Smart in the suit holding a bucket of chicken with the South Carolina logo on it and says, Mad Dog says, when someone asks what you're having for dinner Saturday night, I do love this from Mad Dog and chomping down on some chicken. I believe you may see the dogs do that on Saturday. By the way, speaking of October 30th, those lousy stinking, lousy stinking gators, about 45 days from now for our Gator Hater Countdown. We will see all of you tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. Appreciate you being here. Appreciate R.S. Andrews making it possible because if it wasn't for R.S. Andrews, I'd have to be doing some real work right now as opposed to getting a chance to sit here and talk to all of you. And that's really fun for me. So check out R.S. Andrews online for your air conditioning, your heating, your plumbing, electric needs. Hot weather still here in the early days of what I think of as the fall season, although I guess officially fall doesn't start for a little while longer, but you know what I mean. So get your system tuned back up to factory fresh specs. Find them online at rsandrews.com for more on that. And, of course, remember, always love your participation in our podcast cool down. That means you can, even if you listen on, like, the Apple and Spotify, I know a lot of you don't, most of you don't listen to the show at dognation.com. You listen via one of the podcast player apps. And so my encouragement would be to, if you hear the show and you got, I say something dumb, you want to correct me on something, which is always you know, listen, there's always going to be a need to do that kind of thing. Uh, go just, you know, hit up dognation.com, find the show we posted there each and every day, along with all the other great articles at dognation.com. And you can click in there and, you know, give me your thoughts on Georgia football. And we will read that during this portion right here. A couple of tweets I want to share here for a moment. David Rice writes in. He's a lapdog80 on Twitter. He says, just noting because I haven't heard it mentioned, but the dogs haven't beaten, have beaten. This is kind of interesting. I, I didn't really think about this. Two reigning FBS conference champions this season, that's Clemson out of the ACC and uh, UAB out of the uh, Conference USA, and three in a row, if you go back to the Peach Bowl, winning the game against the American Athletic Conference champion Cincinnati. I don't know why. I love stuff like this. It's like, you know, you can say it matters, maybe it doesn't. It's just interesting to me in kind of a weird way. So Georgia's now won three consecutive games against conference champions reigning conference champions that's kind of a cool stat uh david rice very well done there on that uh ed og on twitter says don't want to harp on the bennett over beck stuff too much but my thoughts are basically that kirby decided he was going he wasn't going to make the same mistake twice last season he had the chance of starting a young guy while feeling he had stetson to fall back on and lo and behold 
you know, you, you know uh, Mathis struggles, never regains his footing at UGA, and is now on another team. This time he decides to let the young guy sit back in it first and then enter the game in a lower leverage situation. I think that uh, Ed's bringing up a lot of good points here. And I think it is true that it's just a more comfortable situation for a guy like Carson Beck to enter the game at home in a game which Georgia has a commanding lead as opposed to the spot that Dewan Mathis found himself in a year ago, which was on the road to begin the season. Now, there wasn't a full stadium, but it's still Barry Odom defense, challenging environment there. And this is one of the things when you do what I do and you have a chance to like really monitor a lot of Georgia fan comments, you just see the way this kind of stuff goes. That there's this great impatience to see a player that you haven't seen before. It's back now. It was Mathis a year ago. There's this impatience of why isn't he playing yet? Why aren't they touting him as the starter? Why, 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 why? You know, just people kind of assume this guy waiting in the wings is going to be great for whatever reason that they kind of come up with in their own mind. There's this, there's this real insistence that it must happen right now. They're impatient to see the player play right now, to see him start. And then when what happens with Mathis happened a year ago and he struggles, now there's this, I never want to see him again. Like both things are kind of unfair if you really think about it you know, take Mathis from a year ago, the rush for fans to see him on the football field, you know, way, way sooner than most quarterbacks play. I know Georgia's had a couple of young quarterbacks that have played quickly, but most quarterbacks are not starting on the road in the SEC to begin a season as redshirt freshmen. That's just not what most quarterbacks are doing, especially a guy that's been through some health concerns. But Georgia fans did not want to hear that before that game last year. Georgia fans were were expectant for Juan Mathis then when he played poorly they never wanted to see him again and sometimes I wonder what if Mathis didn't play at all last year you know and obviously Georgia's pretty crowded the quarterback spot so eventually maybe somebody just kind of gets crowded out but just hypothetically speaking you know how is Mathis's career different if he's not thrown into the fire as quickly as he was and had a little bit more chance to develop I think for Carson Beck I know it probably doesn't seem this way right now if you're a fan of Beck or if you're just Beck himself but you really might benefit over the long haul by by delaying your insertion into a real big spot, as the commenter said, high leverage situation. You you might benefit from delaying your insertion into a situation like that because honestly, the same fans that are eager to see you play, unfortunately, I believe unfairly, also become pretty eager to move on from you the moment that first moment doesn't go perfectly. It, it, to me, it's just unfair on both sides. So pretty good comment there. Um, let's see what else. Uh, 401 Banks on Twitter says, have you realized that the Georgia defense has outscored its opponents? Georgia's defense, 14 points combined. Opponents have scored 10 points. And one of those is a defensive score, right? Like the, so Georgia's only allowed three points offensively all season long. They, there was also a defensive score against Georgia. Has Georgia scored 14 points? You had to obviously, um, uh, uh, you had, you know, the uh, Christopher Smith defensive score against um, Clemson. That's pretty impressive stuff there. Pretty impressive stuff. Uh, T Rock says after five games, the dogs are average. I'm sorry, after two games, the dogs are averaging five sacks per game. Do you think that average will be higher or lower after four games, including what's about to happen in the next two weeks against South Carolina and Vanderbilt? Yeah, I mean to answer your question, T Rock, I think that it's likely this Georgia pass rush shows up each and every week. So that is uh, pretty good stuff all the way around really good comments and as i mentioned during the regular show this defense right now is a show it's a fun thing to watch it's an entertaining product for sure uh 
So thanks for entertaining me with your great comments, and thanks for sticking around here for our podcast cool down. The show's gotten a little longer as of late. Hopefully you guys are okay with the show length. Uh, let me know your thoughts on that, of course. So if we need to shorten things up, we'll try to do that. But it's kind of fun to, you know, stretch your legs here a little bit and talk some Georgia football. So hopefully you're finding it enjoyable. So reach out to me on Twitter at DogNationDaily. Hit me up in the comments section at DogNation.com. And we'll see you back here tomorrow for our podcast, Cool Down, presented by R.S. Andrews, whom you can find online at rsandrews.com. And, of course, for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. We will see you tomorrow, everybody.